If you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. If you've been with us now for several weeks, we've been looking our way through Matthew's gospel, the, the first account of Jesus' life and teaching. And we're in a long section of Jesus' teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, Jesus began teaching us how to live a righteous life before others. And in this section, what he's doing uh, is he's talking about common religious practices. So last week, we looked at giving to the needy. This week, and actually for the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about prayer, and then we'll talk about fasting. Now, I don't know how many of you would say fasting is a common religious practice for you. Uh, it is interesting. So I, I work with the, the students uh, on Wednesday night, lead the, the guys portion of the Bible study. And when I asked them to share what they thought common religious practices were, particularly among Christians, they, they mentioned the ones that you would expect them to mention. Prayer, reading the Bible, going to church. Uh, nobody mentioned giving to the needy. Uh, and that was what we were talking about. Um, but one person said potlucks. So, we know how to feast, we may not know how to fast, uh, but, but you've got a few weeks to get ready for that one. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be hitting that one soon. Uh, so, just like I said last week, uh, Jesus gives us the principle in chapter 6, verse 1, that kind of uh, guides this whole section. So, I'm going to read verse 1 of chapter 6, and then we're going to spend our time in verses 5 through 8. Uh, so, if you have a copy of God's Word, you can turn there. I'm going to read 6-1 and then 6-5 through 8. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Thus far the reading of God's Word, and while the grass withers and the flowers fade, the Word of our God stands forever. Amen. Let's pray and ask for His help. Lord, would you teach us to pray, and maybe even more than that, Lord, teach us what it is that's underneath our prayers. That's what you're doing in this passage, and so, Lord, I pray that you would use your word here uh, to reveal to us our hearts, our motives, uh, so that we would be a people who seek you rightly, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. John Stott was an English pastor and theologian, and and he says this, The essence of Christian prayer is to seek God. 
That's what we're doing in prayer. We are seeking God. I remember being at a former church and an elder getting up to lead the congregational prayer time. And as he prayed, it became clear to me that he wasn't really praying. He wasn't really speaking to God. He was speaking to the crowd. He began his prayer by saying, this is my rough paraphrase from memory, so that gets uh, foggier the more I go. Uh, But his prayer began something like this, Lord, you know that yesterday I was at a graduation ceremony, and you know that I heard some things that were really disturbing to me. And then began what I would call a speech, uh, a, a political and cultural speech camouflaged as a prayer. Now, I didn't say that because uh, politics and culture have no place in our prayers. I think they certainly do. Those things are important to us. Uh, We're told to pray for our leaders, and so we do that here. Uh, And we're a part of culture, and we pray for culture, and we pray for God to change culture. And so that wasn't the issue I had with this man's prayer. Uh, Nor do I share that to necessarily dishonor that brother uh, because he shows just how easy it is for us to, to lapse into what Jesus is talking about here. And my issue was that he was speaking to us as the congregation. He wasn't actually speaking to God. He was giving us information about how he felt about a certain thing rather than asking God to move and to do something. He was speaking for our ears and not necessarily God's, And that's very easy to do. Uh, I've done that more times than I can count. Uh, I remember as a, as a young man uh, starting out in ministry uh, and being asked to assist in the worship service. Uh, you probably didn't know this, uh, but in your 20s, you actually know everything. <laughs> At least I did. Uh, and I was convinced at that ripe old age that I had some things to teach people. And since I was being given a microphone and some space to use it, I decided that I was going to uh, write these well-crafted, theologically astute prayers so that I could really add something to the people in the room. Now, good theology belongs in prayer. And public prayers should be engaging to the mind and to the heart. But I realize now, in hindsight, that what I was doing was praying more for the crowd than for the Lord. It's easy to be a performer. And that's what Jesus wants us to watch out for. Uh, when, when it comes to practicing our righteousness before others, to not become performers. What's the antidote to performance? What does Jesus tell us in this passage will keep us from performing in that way? And it's this. Knowing God as your Father. That's what Jesus tells us. That knowing God as your Father helps you to pray rightly. Again, like I said last week, Jesus doesn't say, Alright, don't pray until you get your motives right. Until you can straighten up your motives, you just better not pray. He doesn't say that because he knows that none of us would be able to pray. 
But he does tell us to what uh, he does tell us what to keep our eyes on when we pray. And he really gives us two examples. First, he tells us that if God is your father, then you don't have to pray to impress others. That's verses five and six. And then in verses seven and eight, he says, if God is your father, then you can pray simply and directly. So on the one hand, you can pray honestly, not seeking to impress others. On the other, you can pray simply and directly. So let's, let's look at both of those. First, verses 5 and 6. If your God is your Father, then you don't have to pray to impress other people. That would be the prayer of the hypocrite, the performer. Uh, the person who is pretending to be one thing, but is actually another. Jesus tells us that this person loves to pray. They love to pray in the synagogue, the local church. They love to pray on the street corners, in the community. But here's the problem. They love to pray so that they can be seen by others. The hypocrite isn't really talking to God. He's performing prayer for others. So that he can hear things perhaps like, what a godly man he is. Or, how beautifully she prays. I would love to hear her pray more. Those sorts of things. And Jesus says very clearly, very simply, If that's the reward you want, then that's the reward you will get. And that is all the reward that you will get. Jesus is not opposed to giving us what we want. Thankfully, he knows better often what we need than we do. Um, But if if the approval of others is what you want, and that's why you're praying, Jesus says, that's exactly what you will receive, the approval of others and no more. Now, I don't think Jesus is referring to uh, leading others in prayer because that's exactly what he's going to do in the next section when he teaches us what's what we've called the Lord's Prayer. That's actually a corporate prayer. All of the pronouns are plural. Sorry if that was a little, you know, a little grammar lesson for you. Those are plural used. It's a... The, the Lord's Prayer is a y'all prayer, not a you prayer. All right? Uh, so Jesus isn't talking about leading others in prayer. He's not talking about praying as a group. He's talking about private prayer. Uh, the, so I think these, these are the hypocrites. They're, they're personal prayers that he does to be seen by others. Um, so what are we to do? Well, Jesus says, when you pray, look at verse 6. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. The, the word there for room uh, refers to an, an inner room in a, in a common, very simple first century home. Uh, this would have been the place where you stored your valuables. Right? Because walls were made out of uh, hardened dirt or mud. Ideally, or technically, a thief could just break through the wall and steal something. And so what you did is you had a room in the center of your home. Likely, it was the only room that had a lock. It was the only door that had a lock on it. There weren't any windows or anything. It's where you stored valuable things. And Jesus says, go there. Go there into the secret place 
and your father, who sees in secret, will hear you. So you're going to this place where you're not observed or observable by other people, but God sees you. It's what we were talking about earlier. God knows all things. He sees all things. And so no one else is there but you and God. That, Jesus says, is the place for private, personal prayer. Because that's where you really are you, isn't it? Away from all of the prying eyes and expectations, it's just you and the Lord. Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane says this, When a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. If you're not a performer, right, the, the, the beautiful thing about the secret place is it's just, it's just you. There's no one there to perform. That's what McShane is, is getting at. That's who you really are there. Not up here. Not in front of the group. Right? But you have to deal first with God on your own in private. Prayer in secret is honest prayer. Prayed only for God. That may even beg the question, what is my secret place? How does, what does that look like for me in the 21st century? Well, find you a quiet place, find you a quiet time, and seek the Lord. Every mom in the room just said, quiet place? <laughs> quiet time? What is, what is that? Uh, you may have heard the names uh, Charles Wesley and John Wesley. Uh, their mother, Susanna, was a devout woman. She had ten surviving children, uh, two, of, two of whom were John and Charles. Uh, and her home, uh, they were a very poor family. Her husband, who also happened to be a local pastor, uh, did not manage his money well uh, and was uh, often not at home. Uh, and Susanna uh, had to manage the home, uh, their small garden, and their children, mostly on her own. Uh, and so, she, again, she had ten children that survived, uh, a couple of whom had disabilities and were uh, hard to handle. And so what Susanna Wesley would do, at least according to one article that I read, is she would take her apron. She would sit down and she would take her apron and she would drape it over her head. She made a little prayer tent, and her children knew that when mom was in her apron, you did not bother her, because she was praying to the Lord. One article said that I read said that she did that for two hours. I can't imagine sitting with an apron over, um, I can't imagine doing much for two hours, but uh, certainly not uh, hunched over with an apron over my head. But that was how Susanna Wesley found her time, her, her, her secret place before the Lord. Go ahead, what is that for you? What is that secret place that you can find, that you can make an effort to get alone with you and the Lord? Where you don't have to impress others, it's just Him. He is your Father, and He sees in secret. The second thing that Jesus tells us is, if God is your Father, then we can pray simply and directly. Jesus says, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't heap up empty phrases. Uh, the Gentiles, the pagans, 
They were those who did not worship the God of Israel. They did not worship the one true God. They worshipped many false gods. And the way that they viewed prayer was something like a, a magic spell. Uh, you had to say it in the right way a certain number of times, uh, and that was how you got the gods to do something, to move, to take action. It didn't really so much matter the heart behind the prayer as long as you got the words right. Uh, that's what Jesus means when he says, heap up empty phrases. They would have kind of this avalanche of words that they would give trying to get their God to, to act. Now, Jesus isn't against long prayers. He makes long prayers himself. In John 17, he prays a long prayer. He's not against, some, some would say, see, this is why you don't write prayers down or you don't pray in formulas. Well, no, Jesus actually does give us a formula to pray. That's what the Lord's Prayer is. And Jesus isn't against that either. And Jesus is not against repeating things in prayer or praying for the same thing over and over again. He tells us the parable of the persistent widow who would not stop bothering the judge until he moved on her case. Jesus says, pray like that. Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane prays the same thing multiple times. So that's not what Jesus is against. He's against what John Stott calls the torrent of mechanical and mindless words. When you come to the Lord in prayer, do you just throw up a lot of words, that some of which don't really make a whole lot of sense? Some of us, that's how we were trained to pray. Make sure you embellish a lot. Use lots of fancy words, pray in this certain way. And you're really only holy if you use King James English when you pray. Right? That's not what Jesus says. Instead, the way that we are to pray is we're not to be like them, verse 8, because our Father knows what we need before we ask Him. Here's what that means. Your prayers can be short and direct. When you pray to your Father, take a minute. Uh, Think about what it is that you want to pray. What is it that you want to thank Him for? Thank Him. Simply. What is it that you want to ask Him to do? How would you like Him to move? What would you like Him to accomplish? Give it some thought, engage your mind, and ask him. Sometimes you can be silent before the Lord. Maybe your prayer is just simply help. That's okay. The point is, we don't have to heap up lots of empty words. We don't have to repeat God's name over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. We can pray simply and we can pray directly. We can talk to our Father in Heaven like we would talk to any other person. It is a conversation. We listen to His Word. We respond to Him in prayer. And so Jesus says, if God is your Father, if you know that God is your Father, then you can pray simply and Directly. And that's actually the key. 
knowing God as your Father is actually the key. Not just to prayer, but to the whole Christian life. Knowing God as your Father is the key to the whole Christian life. Think about it. What, what is it that both the hypocrite and the pagan lack? They lack a relationship with God. They lack... They, they don't know God as their Father. Maybe, maybe you struggle to think of God in that way. Maybe, maybe that concept... Maybe you didn't have a very good father. Maybe he was absent. Maybe he was abusive. So the idea of God as your Father is a struggle. But know this, God is the best Father. He is, he is what all fathers were designed to be. His character is what all fathers should model their character after. He is present, He is strong, He is compassionate. And so, if you struggle to think of God as your Father because you struggle with the image of a father, I would encourage you to abandon that image of the earthly father and latch on to, what, to how, the, how Jesus describes the father in the Bible. He is a good father and he listens to his children. That's what Jesus tells us. He listens to his children. Maybe... You think, well, I don't know, that, that lowers God a little bit, or that makes Him unholy. I, you know, I, I really, I can see Him as, as great and majestic, but to see Him as Father, friend, that is how God has made Himself known. You do not dishonor God by calling Him your Father. In fact, you honor Him. You glorify Him because you are praising Him and acknowledging Him to be what He has declared Himself to be. They are His words, not ours. And so if He is to be known, if He wants to be known as our Father, then we delight Him and we honor Him by recognizing Him as such. Do not hesitate to go to your Father Maybe you don't know God as Father. How, Kevin, how, how could I have that relationship? What would it look like to know God as my Father? Well, we come through the work of the Son, Jesus. In fact, that is what Jesus has come to do. None of us, by the way, are naturally God's children. Not in that sense. We are all created by God, but we are not His children. We have rejected Him and we have rebelled. We have said uh, from our earliest breath that we would rather be slaves and orphans than sons and daughters. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to redeem us and adopt us into the family. So how do I have a relationship with God? How do I know God as my Father? Through Jesus the Son. Listen to these words from Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul. He says, When the fullness of time had come... God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, 
God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Do you want to pray better? Then come to know God as your father. And you will see yourself praying more honestly and more directly and simply. And you will experience the joy of being known by God so that you don't have to impress others. Let's pray. Father, would you impress upon us your fatherhood? Would you impress upon us your goodness and trustworthiness? Lord, for those of us who had bad fathers, who struggle in that sense to understand what it means to have a loving, caring father, I pray that you would help us to reject that and see that for what it is, it's wrong. It's not what fathers are meant to be. And would you help us to see that you, Lord, are a good father. Lord, would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to pray rightly, knowing that you see us in the secret place? You see us when no one else sees us. And that's what matters. And in Christ, you approve of us when no one else approves of us. And that's what matters. Lord, may we be so confident in your approval of us in Christ that we do not need to perform for anyone else. We pray before you. Lord, would you help us to to know that you know us, that you, you know what we need before we even ask. So we don't have to try to coerce you. We don't have to cajole you or bargain with you. We don't have to heap up empty words and phrases or impress you with the amount of things that we can say or the way that we can use our language. Lord, you don't need that. You know what we need and you want what's best for us. And so, would you help us to come before you and pray simply and honestly? Lord, and for those of us who don't yet know you as a father, for those of us who have not yet put our trust in the Lord Jesus and been adopted into the family, Lord, I pray that today we would believe We would trust in you and find a relationship with you to be completely satisfying. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.